This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good afternoon, this is Live and Learn on The Bigger Picture and I'm Juliet Jacobs. It was International Day of Peace yesterday, observed annually on the 21st of September and this year's theme was End Racism, Build Peace. The day was dedicated to promoting a new world free of racism and racial discrimination. However, refugees living in Malaysia have long faced discrimination, denied many fundamental human rights and have had to contend with vicious amounts of xenophobia simply for fleeing unsafe situations in their own countries and seeking refuge here. What should be done to fix this ongoing issue and what are the right strategies for more inclusive policies focusing on the right to obtain decent work, healthcare services and formal education? Uh, this is the focus of an upcoming public dialogue by Bayit Al-Amana in collaboration with Beyond Borders. And I'm going to find out more from Mahi Ramakrishnan. She's the founder of Beyond Borders and Simrit Raj Kordila. She's a research and advocacy analyst at Bayit Al-Amana. Welcome, ladies. How are you today? Thanks for having us. Yes, thank you so much for having us. Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me. So, uh, Mahi, no stranger to BFM, of course, but just for the sake of those who might not be familiar, can you just remind us about the work that you do through Beyond Borders? So, Beyond Borders works to promote the rights and interests of uh, the forced migrant communities, which are the the asylum seekers, the refugees, um, migrant workers, and also stateless persons. So, what we do is we create opportunities and platforms for them to be able to speak up about their aspirations and frustrations and needs. And we also look at lobbying for policy, for right to work, education, and healthcare with some of the progressive MPs in parliament. And uh, Beyond Borders also runs a livelihood project called Briani Wallace, where we cook Briani, of course, different types of Briani. And uh, initially, I invested some capital. So Beyond Borders used to take 40% of the net profit. But now that I've recovered my capital, the women who who make the food, uh, you know, they take the the 100% of profit. So that's good for them. It creates uh, opportunities and livelihood and a stable income. And that's incredibly important. And uh, I also, in my personal capacity, do investigative films looking at issues like uh, child sex and trafficking and forced migration. And uh, I also do research on um, atrocity crimes and hate speech. We're actually currently uh, in, the, in collaboration with the University of Queensland and also Olsen Burma based in Bangkok and uh, to, do, to developing a hate speech application and we hope to uh, launch it pretty soon. Okay, I mean, really, really wonderful work that you're doing. And I know this has been something that you've been doing for a long time, you know, something you're very passionate about, uh, helping a lot of people. Yes. <laughs> and I just want to say the BFMers, you know, we'd have been buying the biryani off and on. So yes, it's yes. amazing. Yes. Uh, you know, you. folks should definitely do that. Uh, Simran, maybe you can just quickly walk us through the work that uh, Bait Al-Amana does. Yeah, sure. So basically at Bait, I lead all the migration, refugee and stateless projects and also some projects on uh, democracy and governance. So for example, um, we have a project called um, Project Didet Semur, which is in collaboration with Wiki Impact, which has the vision of wanting to integrate stateless children into the national education system. And this means allowing stateless children to sit for national exams and also attend public schools. Uh, on top of that, we also do a lot of uh, advocacy and building public awareness in collaboration with uh, UNHCR. So we work together um, with UNHCR to advocate pertinent and significant issues with regards to refugees and really just trying our best to go beyond what is already being discussed 
discussed in the media, right? Mm-hmm. And this is for a better future moving forward. So, for instance, I publish articles highlighting the plight of refugees regularly. Um, for example, I've published one on ethical journalism, and this was following the raid um, we witnessed, um, yeah. very inhumane raid we witnessed, and also um, on the government partnership with UNHCR and many other more. Um, we also try to advocate significant issues to politicians and policymakers, and this is to bring change to the government um, to a government policy towards uh, the treatment of refugees as well. So that's, that is some of the work that we do. Okay. All right. And, you know, as I mentioned at the intro, you know, there is going to be a public dialogue, uh, you know, focusing on refugees, isn't it? And and we know, as I mentioned earlier, the theme for International Day of Peace and Racism, Build Peace, uh, we don't seem to be doing very well there, you know, when it comes to uh, refugee communities here in Malaysia. We know that Malaysia has not acceded to the 1951 Refugee Convention or its 1967 Protocol or Relevant Statelessness uh, Conventions, right? And there is no legal, no policy framework to address their protection and welfare needs. Both of you, you know, work with these communities, what do you want people to know about the realities faced by refugees living in Malaysia? Mahi, you want to start first? Sure. Uh, the thing is, uh, I think that the government uh, prefers to hide behind the fact that it has not ratified the Refugee Convention because immaterial of whether or not we have ratified the convention, we do have an obligation to protect the rights and interests of uh, refugees and asylum seekers. This is because we have already ratified many other conventions, the Child Rights Convention, the Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Discrimination Against Women. We are a party to the UN Sustainable Development Goals 2030. We even sit on the UN Human Rights Council. Correct. And you know We are bound, whether you like it or not, we are bound by the non-reformer principle, and we have already violated it one too many times by pushing back Rohingya boats. And uh, on top of this, the fact is, you know, we have also ratified the New York Declaration, which not many are aware of. And the New York Declaration has also ratified many other, almost all conventions in the world. So it's really not possible for us to say that, you know what, we have not ratified the convention, so we don't really have to care about their needs. Uh, It doesn't really work that way. And, you know, every time, like just not Simrat talked about... uh, uh, the kind of inhane, inhumane treatment, especially by the immigration, for example. Mm-hmm. And you know, we all know, and Suhakam has also published tons of reports about the kind of uh, torture that we see in immigration detention centers. Now, torture is a use Kogan's norm, which means that you know it's non-derogable and the country cannot derogate against uh, torture, even though we have not ratified the Convention Against Torture. So the fact remains that, you know, we need to, I think, keep drumming it to the government that we have an obligation, we have a responsibility, immaterial of whether or not we have ratified the Convention. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, we are a member of the United Nations and a current member of the Human Rights Council, aren't we, from 2022 to 2024? So, I mean, we are expected to uphold human rights for all, regardless of whether we ratified this particular convention, Yeah. Exactly. So it's quite ironic. It doesn't make sense to me. Okay. Uh, Simran, anything you wanted to add to that? Um, I think Mahi did a fantastic job, you know, explaining in detail um, what the government is trying to avoid. Um, But I think what more so, um, if I were just to add on what Mahi has said, I think what I really would like people, you know, and specifically relating to the public is that um, the understanding or, you know, having that understanding of the consequence of not having that legal and policy framework and to be deemed as a criminal for wanting to seek asylum in another country. I really hope that people understand that these are the realities that refugees face. And this is 
you know, they seek asylum to look for better opportunities and therefore the consequence of them being deemed as a criminal is not something that should be happening at all. And I hope that people realise that just because there is no legal and policy framework, this they, they are vulnerable to this type of abuses. Yeah. And, um, you know, from your experiences, just looking at how Malaysians, you know, uh, react towards uh, refugees here in Malaysia, what is their perception of forced migration communities? You know, I mean, uh, we've seen, I think we saw it, especially during the, the pandemic, right? This real dislike, that xenophobia coming out. What is fueling all of this, you know, um, dislike, discontent and all of that with these communities? I think that, you know, unfortunately, and this really pains me to say it, I think we have become xenophobic and also racist progressively mm-hmm. over the last few years. And, you know, and it doesn't really help when there is this play of religion on politics that the government does now and again as a way of actually staying in power. And the fact remains also that many Malaysians are not really aware of forced migration or issues relating to forced migration. They don't necessarily need to know who are asylum seekers, why people are actually fleeing their country. You know, I've been a filmmaker for about, what, 20 years now, and I've realized that when you talk about issues that people do not necessarily identify with because it's not a part of their lived experience, then they shut down, they shut off. They don't really want to know and their ability to comprehend it to comprehend it isn't there anymore. So I think that the government has to take on this responsibility and needs to have the political will to actually create an awareness campaign because you are only afraid of something that you do not know in its entirety. That's why seven years ago, we started the Refugee Festival as a way of building platforms, as a way of actually getting the refugees to sit together in the same space with Malaysians so that they can talk about some of these sticking points so that they can get to know each other better. And once you get to know each other better and you realize, oh my God, they are just like me with the same aspirations and dreams for myself and my children, then that kind of hostility can be worked at. But we are not doing anything about it. And I and sad to say, even during the time of Pakatan Harapan, when they were talking a lot about the right to work, they did not even sit back to think that the refugees will eventually have to work with Malaysians. They can't just work in a in a vacuum can they but you know there was no effort made to actually you know integrate them because local integration is incredibly difficult it's a very difficult thing to do Um, Simran, you know, I, I was reading some of those articles that you've written and you wrote that, you know, the deeper problem is rooted rooted in our nation is the lack of distinction between refugees and undocumented migrants and the inconsistencies of government policies towards refugees in Malaysia. Can you elaborate on that for me? Yeah, sure. First of all, I really hope that the construction noise is not super distracting. Um, Don't worry about it. Yeah. So... What I meant was that um, so undocumented migrants are individuals who who are without any documents, right? And these individuals fall under the Immigration Act. Refugees, on the other hand, are individuals who have the UNHCR card. So that means they are, to a certain extent, documented. But because the government does not openly recognize the UNHCR document, hence there's, there's no distinction made between these two groups. So with that being said, you know, refugees are then vulnerable to arrest for immigration offences. And because of this, they may be subject to detention, prosecution, whipping, and also deportation. So when we talk about the inconsistencies um, of government policies towards refugees, I think a very clear example can be, you know, from one end, our prime minister is declaring 
that refugees and stateless individuals are vulnerable groups, and yet another minister uh, or a, another government body is authorizing these inhumane crackdowns on refugees in the country. So this inconsistency puts refugees in a very vulnerable and in a very unpredictable solution, in a, in a very unpredictable position because they cannot predict what's, what their future is going to look like. Yeah. Okay, all right. Um, let's just go for a quick break, ladies. When we come back, you know, let's talk about the sort of messaging coming from our government, you know, the sort of, um, uh, yeah, vilifying of, you know, agencies like the UNHCR, which seems to be happening uh, and what and the impact that's going to be on, uh, you know, refugees here in Malaysia. I'm speaking today to Mahi Ramakrishnan. She's the founder of Beyond Borders and Simrat Raj Kaur Dillon. She's a research and advocacy analyst at Bayat Al-Amana. Uh, it was International Day of Peace yesterday and we're talking about, you know, refugees in Malaysia and an upcoming uh, open dialogue titled Inclusion, the Way Forward for Refugees in Malaysia. We'll have more on that after this quick break. You're listening to Live and Learn on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Welcome back. This is Live and Learn on The Bigger Picture. I'm Juliet Jacobs. Joining me on the line today are Mahi Ramakrishnan. She's the founder of Beyond Borders and Simrit Raj Kaur Dillon. She's a research and advocacy analyst at Bayat Al-Amana. We are talking about, you know, refugees in Malaysia. It was International Day of Peace. Uh, the, The theme for this year was end racism, build peace. I mean, are we doing that for the refugees living here in Malaysia? It doesn't seem that way. Uh, You know, before the break, both of you were explaining how um, it seems that government policies and, you know, government, the government is also, you know, sort of fueling that um, dislike and distrust of refugee communities here in Malaysia. And I just want to talk about uh, something that came up uh, not too long ago. I think it was back in July. The Home Minister Hamza Zainuddin, he announced the government's decision to adopt the Tracking Refugees Information System or TRIS system, uh, TRIS, for all UNHCR cardholders here in Malaysia. Um, Can you just remind folks what this is all about? Um, You know, what was the justification for the implementation of the system, all of that? Uh, Mahi, you want to go? Sure. Um, I think this system was actually introduced in 2017. And I must say that some of the refugee groups were actually quite excited about it because the government said that if they registered under TRIS, then they will get special privileges like uh, ability to work and ability to study and, of course, freedom of movement. And these are incredibly sexy, you know, when you have been living in Malaysia for a decade or two and you do not have any rights. So Mm. there were many refugee groups that were actually quite happy about it. But now, I think after a few years and given the fact that there has been a lot of animosity coming from the government itself and primarily from the Home Ministry, I think there's been a lot of skepticism, especially when the registration has been made mandatory as well. And now, you know, they are also saying that the registration is extremely important so that they'll be able to figure out where these refugees are. So that's actually a tool for surveillance. And we are seeing increased tools of surveillance against refugees and asylum seekers, you know, all over the world. So this, I don't think, you know, is a good strategy. And it's also a strategy or a tool that's open to abuse because, you know, Not too long ago, 2020, at the start of the pandemic, the government did ask refugees to come out and actually get themselves vaccinated. Mm -hmm. And they also promised and said that we will not arrest you, we will not detain you. You know, just please come and get yourself vaccinated. And then what happened? They were rounded up, they were arrested. You had the entire brouhaha with the immigration uh, crackdown and detention, and it was just a mayhem. So how do you expect anyone to actually trust the government. I don't trust them, and I do not expect the, the refugees to trust them, actually. So what we are having now is a system that has been made mandatory, and then, you know, you have also um, announcements saying that the MyRC card will now replace the UNSCR card, that that is going to be the primary card, 
And it doesn't make sense to me, actually, because on, on the one hand, the government wants refugees to be resettled. They want to be rid of refugees, but they keep them in prolonged detention without any access to the UNHCR. That means that the refugee status determination cannot be conducted. Mm. And without the RSD, how on earth are you going to resettle refugees? And now you have this My RC card. And I'm thinking to myself, firstly, what kind of expertise do the government have when it comes to registering them? Secondly, what about data protection? Just a few months ago, we had this big mess with our MySajatra app as well. Correct. And then, you know, can you tell me like all governments which are open to receiving refugees will actually recognize this MyRC card? So it's just that, you know, it's mind boggling and I do not understand what's happening except to think about it as a political positioning ahead of an imminent election. Because, you know, the government, I think, is trying to show Malaysians that it is for Malaysians that, you know, Malaysians come first. And the easiest and the quickest thing to do is to demonize refugees, asylum seekers. And I don't think that the migrant workers will actually get off the hook as well. Okay. Uh, Simran, is there anything you wanted to add to that? We have already seen patterns on how the government treats refugees in the country. So I think that you know, there is definitely a risk when the government has access to all their personal information. Um, but I think, you know, giving the benefit of the doubt here, that can also be a bright side. Maybe there is a bright side, right? So, but I think in order to achieve the benefit that the government, you know, is trying to show us that this is beneficial for the refugees, I think the government needs to be more transparent on how they intend to use this information and completely be transparent in how this system can actually benefit refugees and not, um, you know, uh, put them in ways of danger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So picking up from what she said, you know, I do understand that there's also this argument that goes around saying that the government may be frustrated because they do not actually have a hand in the management of refugees. Okay. And also the government has said that, you know, it's it's mandatory for them to actually register so that they can look at right to work and education and stuff like that. But for me, it's like we have not seen any political will. We have not seen intent on the part of the government to actually do good by the refugees. Mm -hmm. If they're really concerned about the right to work, then we already have an existing legal framework, which is the IMM 13 under the Immigration Act, which can be used to immediately give them the right to work. It just needs the signature of the Home Minister. And the Home Minister is incredibly hostile towards refugees. So, you know, while I'm so happy that Simrath is more confident than I am, I find it incredibly difficult to actually put my trust uh, behind this government. Okay. All right. And I just want to move on to this other news that also uh, came out recently. And this is involving UNHCR in Malaysia, right? Um, just, just very quickly, you know, um, can you remind our listeners the role that UNHCR plays in assisting refugees, um, asylum seekers, stateless people living in Malaysia? Well, the UNHCR has an international protection mandate, and we all know that. And that's enshrined in the 1951 UN Refugee Convention. And to be honest, it has been doing its best, given the fact that, you know, on and off over the last few years, we have seen this tug of war between the UNHCR and the government and the government asking for sharing of data. And to be fair to the UNHCR, it has also kick-started a process where there will be gradual sharing of data. And there has been consistent and very progressive meetings with the National Security Council as well. So it came as a complete shock when just a few weeks back, there was this announcement by the government saying that the UNHCR needs to be shut down. And uh, again, you know, we sit on the UN Human Rights Council. So I really do not understand the kind of messages and statements that are coming out 
that are coming out from the government. I don't even know whether these are thought out. But like I said just now, unless it's political positioning ahead of a general election. So the fact is, the UNHCR has an international protection mandate, and what the government can do is to remove all obstacles so that the UNHCR can do its job. Mm-hmm. And Simran, is there anything you wanted to add to that before I move on? So I think Mahi has um, covered the basis of what UNHCR technically does in the country um, and the role, the important role that UNHCR plays um, when it comes to dealing with the refugee crisis in the nation. So, yeah. Okay, all right, excellent. And um, there was also, I mean, it wasn't just uh, the Home Minister, uh, the National Security Council Director General, Rodzi Mohammad Saad, his, his suggestion to shut it down, uh, that was that was what you were talking about, isn't it, uh, just now, uh, Mahi? And, yeah, and also the thing is, he was present at the National Security Council, which happened like five days before yeah. he made that announcement. So. All right. Correct. Okay. All right. And, you know, Simran, in response to that suggestion to close UNHCR, right, the the office in Malaysia, sorry, uh, you wrote that, and I'm just going to quote you here, the government must recognise its lack of capacity and expertise in handling the issue and should opt for sharing the burden and responsibility to strengthen its capacity for the protection of refugees in Malaysia. Uh, And you said, indeed, the era of where government knows best is over. Would you like to elaborate on that for us? Yeah, sure. So I think from what me and Mahi and all of us working with the refugees and all for a very long time. We can all agree that the UNHCR has cultivated many years of experience in developing and uh, and ensuring a cohesive and comprehensive framework for refugees in Malaysia. You know, right from them handling the uh, RSD process, which is the refugee status determination process, you know, monitoring detention facilities and um, working to secure the release of refugees and also supporting their health and education and also community self-reliance programs. Like all of this, UNHCR has so many years of experience in doing all of this. And we can safely say that the government does not have this experience. And, you know, therefore, I think that the government must certainly move away from the government knows best mindset because they need and move towards a better cooperation between the government and UNHCR. And that is extremely vital to address the refugee issues um, in an effective and coherent way. You know, using the expertise that UNHCR already has and the government can then learn better on how to deal with um, or how to handle, so to speak, with such a, you know, such a sensitive issue. Mm-hmm. And there was one more thing that I wanted to bring up. Uh, the immigration department, I think it was just last week, reported that they found some Rohingya entered the country using the services of agents who then took them to the UNHCR office to obtain the refugee card. Uh, and this, of course, has been refuted by UNHCR. Uh, can you just remind us what that was about? Mahi, I know I, I saw you cl- uh, describing that claim as preposterous. <laughs> can you tell us about that? You know, the thing is, uh, we have known about trafficking of the Rohingya across the border, and we have known this for decades. And the Special Branch Malaysia's elite police has also been trying to tackle trafficking across the border. But, you know, this claim is actually preposterous because you cannot say something like we got hold of a few Rohingya refugees and this is what they told us because it's a very serious allegation. So what the immigration DG has to do is to come clean, is to give us more facts and details, is to actually call uh, CSOs who work on the ground um, you know, uh, and other key stakeholders to have a conversation about this because the fact is, you know, we need to know more. And I find it absolutely nonsensical that you know, some of the traffickers are actually bringing them to the UNHCR because that's not the role of the trafficker. I have worked 
uh, on uh, many films and I've done enough interviews with traffickers to know that the only thing they do is they trap them in, in uh, detention camps, they get the money off them after torturing them mercilessly, and then they let them go. That is where their role ends, is to actually trap them, find the money, get the money, and that's the end of it. So this looks like positioning this issue as a securitization problem again. And securitization has been used again and again and again to actually vilify not just the UNHCR, but also to create the refugees and primarily the Rohingya for some, ex for some reason as a risk factor. You know, they are positioned as a threat to national security, for example. And that's that's mind-boggling. That's that's rubbish, actually. Yeah. Okay. Simran, anything you want to add to that? Yeah. Um. I think I definitely second. Um, I definitely, you know, second what Mahi has said. But I think also the fact that we need more background and you know more facts into what he's actually saying because you know he's claimed that he spoke to these um, Rohingyas um, during an operation, which is already when they are in such a vulnerable state. Um. So definitely more background facts and not just pushing this allegation forward um, is something that the, the immigration DG needs to address, yes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what are some of your recommendations on how the government can actually collaborate better with NGOs, you know, with the UNHCR as well, to provide the best assistance to migrants, you know, um, refugees, asylum seekers, you know, all of that here in Malaysia? I think like what I said, the government has to, the only thing the government has to do is to allow the UNHCR to do its job to remove all obstacles and challenges and to not come up with this rhetoric time and again about shutting them down, about coming up with another new registration card, making another system of registration mandatory. We do understand that the government wants to be a part of the refugee management system in the country, and that's welcome. But I think there is a way to do it. And we need to also know that the government, like what Simrat said, actually has the expertise to do that because, you know, registering them is a huge thing. And I know that the UNHCR says that there are close to 200,000 refugees, but I think there are easily half a million refugees, 200,000 Rohingya alone. So it's about how you're going to put a process in motion. And secondly, I think the government also has to now collaborate with CSOs who actually work on the ground, activists, individuals, community leaders primarily. I'm a big you know, it's, it's a big thing for me to do community-led engagement. So before you think of policy, before you think of what I'm going to do for the refugees, talk to the refugees first. You know, why do you assume that you know the protection needs of refugees, for example? Why do you think that you know the employment needs of the refugees, for example? I think, you know, the progressive way forward is to have this dialogue where everyone can sit on the same table and talk about some of those difficult issues and reach a consensus. That's the way to go. And, you know, we have seen uh, some positive announcements from the Prime Minister, uh, Ismail Sabri Yaakov. And, you know, I really hope that he will position himself as a progressive leader and that he will kickstart uh, such conversations. And I also hope that he will reprimand these kind of uh, flip-flop in policy and all kinds of announcements that's coming from different people within his government, that will go a long way in ensuring that, you know, the refugees are protected, that their risk factor is actually reduced. Because while we talk about them as a risk factor, we do not understand or we completely do not want to talk about the fact that while they flee uh, their home countries, they face imminent risk as well. 
um, you know, there there is that public dialogue coming up, right? And and that's of course about inclusion. You know, the way forward for refugees in Malaysia, because you know, as we said, um, you know, refugees have been here for decades now. You know, and there doesn't seem to be any sort of progress. Uh, can you talk to me about this public dialogue? You know, what are your hopes for it? Uh, who are the speakers? All of that. So I think the hope for this public dialogue is that we need to to bring as much awareness as possible on how we as a society and not just you know with the government but we as people can live together with refugees and celebrate refugees and celebrate the strength and the courage of refugees around the globe right so i think what we intend to do with this is we want to start to recognize the courage and perseverance of refugees in the country and therefore, we, for that, we must advocate for a more inclusive society where we can celebrate the stories, histories, the culture, the languages and the lives of refugees as well. So which is why when we were you know, coming up and planning this uh, for this dialogue, I think Mahi made it very clear that we wanted it to be a very community-based approach. We wanted the community themselves to attend this dialogue. We wanted them we wanted it not to just be an academic discussion or a panel discussion, but we wanted to have live performances by refugees themselves to showcase their talent and, you know, to give them an opportunity to showcase what their culture is about, you know, showcase the struggles that they're facing. And I think this is all very, very important. Um, when it comes to the speakers, you know, we have myself on the panel, we have uh, a protection officer from UNHCR on the panel, and we also have um, refugees themselves, one of it is on the panel and one of them will be giving an opening um, speech. So it's definitely a very, we want the community to be involved because that is, you know, that is the only way where we're going to move forward as a society and really understand what refugees want in Malaysia and how to deal with, you know, the crisis in Malaysia. In all my conversations with any refugees who uh, I've had the pleasure of interviewing, all they, a lot of it, you know, they just want to, people to understand that they're not here to steal their jobs, you know, Malaysians' jobs. They're not here to steal our resources. They fled, you know, imminent danger. They fled death, uh, death threats. You know, these are the things. And, I, and I'm sure these are the sorts of conversations also that will be coming out um, uh, on, on this uh, Saturday's dialogue, right? And how can folks attend, you know? Uh, is it open to everyone? We have posted regist uh, registration details on Bait Al-Amana's um, social media and as well as um, Beyond Borders, I'm sure, on their end. They have posted it on their social media as well. Okay. So participants can just get the registration link from there. Okay, excellent. So that's happening on the 24th of September from 3 to 5 p.m. at the Lot KL over in Central. So just head to uh, Beyond Borders or by its um, social media pages to register, right? Um, you know, before I let the both of you go, any last message that you'd like to leave our listeners with, you know, in conjunction with International Day of Peace, uh, any message that you'd like to leave us with? Uh, Mahi, you want to go first? Yeah, I, uh, you know, it's uh, it's important for us to understand that, like you said, the refugees, they have fled their homes and they are here looking for a home amongst us and seeking refuge is not a crime. It's, it's really in, important for us to understand where they are coming from and why they are fleeing their homes. So conversations such as the panel discussion that we are going to have on Saturday, these kinds of conversations are extremely important. They should make up mainstream conversations as well. And we need to create opportunities and platforms or continue to create these platforms so that we can continue to hear the refugees speak up. We can continue to hear their voices. And it's only when we sit down and talk to them and listen to what we have got, what they have got to say, that we will understand their issues and we can open up 
and embrace them because we will also understand that we are richer because of the diversity as well. So I really hope that many will actually will actually turn up so that we can connect them with the refugees and they can listen to the refugees themselves. And you know, I know that I said earlier that we have become progressively a racist and a xenophobic society, but I do believe that we are much more than the hate and xenophobia. And um Thanks. Thanks for this opportunity today. Thank you so much, uh, Mahi. Uh, Simrat, anything you want to add before we uh, wrap up? It's important that, you know, through these discussions and whatever we do, that we must recognize that migration and seeking asylum is a human right. Um, regardless whether you are a citizen or not, everybody has the right to life and liberty and everybody has the right to freedom from fear and these human rights don't change based on your race religion uh, your sex or your nationality so once we establish this foundation only then we can go on to initiate you know better and more efficient public policy to deal with the refugee crisis that's all for me thank you so much for this opportunity today thank you so much both of you for joining me today i've been speaking to mahi ramakrishnan founder of beyond borders and simrat raj Dillon, research and advocacy analyst at bayat al amana if you'd like to find out more about both their respective organizations just head to their website uh, it's bayatalamana.com uh, and it's beyondbordersmalaysia.org if you'd like to find out more uh, and do attend that public dialogue you know uh, to learn what the issues are about uh, find out more head to that uh, event that's happening on the 24th again you can just head to those two websites to get more information. My thanks again to both my guests. If you miss any part of our conversation today, you can always download the podcast at bfm.my slash learn or you can find it on the BFM app. This has been Live and Learn on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.